I first want to say what a privilege it is to stand before you uh, this afternoon, just thankful for uh, the fellowship of uh, my brothers in Christ. It's such a precious and joyful thing that we can gather ourselves uh, here um, and, and worship the Lord in spirit and in truth uh, with the world outside this place and just have a little bit of respite just for a little time where we can gather ourselves together and enjoy each other's company, pray for one another, build bonds with one for another as brothers in Christ, and um, advance what Jesus Christ would have for us to do in His kingdom. And I'm just very blessed and thankful for this opportunity. Um, Brother Swindle many years ago asked me to speak at the minister school, and I uh, politely, uh, I don't say no to Brother Swindle ever, but I politely declined for several years, didn't have a title, didn't have a topic that really I thought that the Lord wanted me to speak upon. And about four years ago, five years ago, a compassionate, the Compassionate Ministry came to me as a title. And I've had it posted on my monitor at my office in my study space, thinking about what I might say. Uh, Brother... Brad Hicks, I've told him no several times as I did not feel it was the right time. Uh, this year have told him yes, and uh, I need another five years to prepare, I'm just saying. So <laughs> this subject is far deeper than, than, uh, than, than I could ever, ever uh, touch upon. Uh, one thing I, I do want to say, I want to praise God. Uh, Lord, save my son December 12th Amen. last year. Amen. And I got to baptize him. I'm thankful for God's watch care over us. He loves us. He really, he really does. Sometimes we let Satan just persuade us that he doesn't love us. That we're uh, to be downtrodden. and That we're to be um, 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 j- just pressed upon by this world. And pressed upon by all the, the, the struggles and challenges that we have. And when we think about, uh, and when we let all that noise go away and Christ comes in, it's just a beautiful and a wonderful thing. And uh, I, I was thinking, reflecting, sitting back here, my, my favorite place in the world is this, this sanctuary. I know it's just a place, it'll, it'll burn with the rest of this world. But from that back wall, <laughs> as I sit as a little boy, that back bench back there, to where the Lord saved my soul, This precious, wonderful place that preached the gospel to me when I was lost. The saints, as they sang in this choir, I'm just thankful for the joy and the tears that I've shed all over this place over the years where I needed God's help and His guidance and His direction. I'm just thankful for the places that we can go to, our closets, whether they be physical manifestations or somewhere in the backyard somewhere. I'm just thankful for God's presence and how He just directs our lives. And I'm, I'm going to I'm gonna have to get on to my lesson. I'm going to uh, ask you to turn to Matthew 24, verses 5 through 12. Verse of Scripture in my lesson titles, The Compassionate Ministry. And I hope my tone will be that that's appropriate. You know, when we think about what compassion means, I want a compassionate tone at times. And there's times that we're we're going to have a conversation about the, the forces of this world and the challenges that you face. 
Jesus gave us uh, an indication of what was to take place. And quite frankly, for the last 2,000 years, this is exactly what has taken place. Nothing's been by accident. Jesus knew what would take place. He knew uh, our lives. He died upon the cross. We think about how much pain and suffering Jesus did upon the cross as it was uh, spoken about earlier this week uh, uh, by Brother uh, Miller's lesson. How much pain and suffering. He took my sins and my iniquities upon a cross. All of them. And my sin debt's huge. Do you think about the times that a person, individual person, transgresses God's law through an entire lifetime, He took that upon His back upon the cross. And He took all of ours. The transgressions of Adam from the beginning of time until now, that sin debt weight He took upon the cross. All the wrongdoing that humanity has ever done on His back. As He bled and died for us. None of this is by accident. Matthew chapter 24 verses 5 through 12. For many shall come in My name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And you shall hear wars and rumors of wars. We're not supposed to be concerned. See that ye be not troubled. For all these things not might come to pass, should come to pass, must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. And all these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they shall deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you. And ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then many shall be offended and shall betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity, because sin, unrighteousness, iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. I borrowed this from the I thought if there's a candle on the table and I come in back there, I'm going to grab that candle and bring that up here today. It's cold wax. It's cold wax. It's what it sounds like. It's not pliable. It's cold wax. We're living in a day and an age and a time, and quite frankly, throughout the history of time, you think of the Spanish Inquisition, you think about the Albigenses, the Waldenses, these Brother Dale, Dale Compton can tell you a lot about what's happened throughout history and throughout time, of the sadness and the sorrow and the suffering and the pain and the challenges the people of God have faced. We live in a, a time that quite frankly is, is, a, is a perilous time. We live in a great time of uncertainty, of sorrow, of hardship, of heartache, of pain, suffering. 
I think a lot of what Jesus is describing here is the kind of environment that we live in today that's been lived in for the past 2,000 years that we face a, an inordinate number, number of challenges in our lives and, and we love our families, we love our churches, we're trying to do what would be the right things. If I were to ask any of you, have you been church wounded before? May you, uh, you raise your hand. Every single one of your hands would go up. Have you been personally injured by preaching the gospel when you know that you were doing the right thing? You knew that you were doing what God wanted you to do. Did you face sorrow and and suffering for the cause of the gospel? No, God's going to repay us. And my paymaster in heaven is unlike any paymaster I'll have on this side of eternity. So when we think about what it means for us and Satan's desire for you, he doesn't want you to have a pliable heart. He doesn't want you to be moldable by the Holy Spirit. Uh, He wants it to be cold like that wax. Hebrews 10.44 says, Let us consider one another and provoke one another to good works. And I ask you, young ministers, I'm thankful we've got some younger ministers been called to the gospel. I'm very thankful for you and I hope and pray that you'll just continue in the way and just, just learn from, from, from these teachers here. They love you and want to help you. I ask what's your ministry going to look like? What's our ministry going to look like? When we think about the questions that we need, when we think about what a compassionate ministry looks like versus this wax-cold nature that Satan wants us to have. In contrary, what does God want us to have? What does our heart need to look like uh, to one another and to God? There's there's so much in the Scriptures. This is intertwined in every aspect of of every book of the Scriptures. It's really quite extensive when we think about what compassion really is. And I'll go through some definitions. I know I'm going to run out of time. But did, did Jesus have a compassionate attitude and ministry? Does Jesus expect you to demonstrate Compassion in your ministry. Do you demonstrate compassion in your ministry? Are are compassionate ministries more effective than uncompassionate ministries? I would assume that they would be. I think we can definitely, by evidence, demonstrate that that is in fact the case. Do you show a level of empathy? We're going to go into some definitions, but fall short of what it means to be truly compassionate. And if compassionate ministries are important, are we engaging in compassion in the Lord's church and the ministry and the work of God? And I ask you these questions because we do need to examine our hearts. We need to examine this. This is a challenge that I think we face in this latter day, in this latter time, where there's so much sin, so much hardship, so much heartache, so much challenge. You know, it breaks our hearts. It makes us hard. It breaks our hearts. We're, uh, we're tossed in every direction. I'll get into some, some of what Brother Keen mentioned to, today that I think will be of help. It's my hope that this topic will be valuable to you and help you, help you in your ministry. And I trust that even the conversation of this topic will help elevate your actions and set a proper tone in conducting your life for the work of the Lord. Our personality types are different. 
Some people have better ability to demonstrate compassion than others. That doesn't excuse any of us to not live compassionate lives in the ministry. Just because you have uh, one trait that's uh, that's leans toward a certain trait, doesn't excuse you for those traits that you don't have or are lacking. And God will help you. Our Almighty Holy Spirit will help you. Compassion, in my definition, is love in action. Brother uh, Curtis is going to give us a lesson on love, and I'm so looking forward to that lesson. I, I'll tell a quick story. Uh, I, I was preaching back-to-back ser- Sunday morning services, Sunday night services, and had about three or four weeks there in my young ministry. And Lord gave me the topic of love, and I thought, oh, Lord, this is going to be a good message. Thank you for giving me this easy topic to preach on. How, how ignorant a young minister can be sometimes, you know. I felt that, you know, that moment. And I went up there and just made a train wreck of it. It's embarrassing. I had to, had to haul myself in the car across the state line back into Kentucky with my tail between my legs because I, I didn't know what I was talking about, basically. And I still don't when it comes to love. It's so deep. It's so rich. And same, I feel the same way with compassion. It's hard to get your arms around it. Compassion is love in action. It's what it does. It supports the believers in Christ. We need to support one another compassionately. We need to support our brothers and sisters at church and they're struggling any way that we can. God wants us to better reclaim this world from sin. And I'll tell you a few things that it's not. But when we think about what compassion means, it, it means that we're to win over hearts. We're in a battle. God's given us a, a, a battle map through His Word. And we've got to use all aspects and all natures embodied in this world, Word. And by doing so, God wants us to be compassionate in our approach to the Gospel. And He wants us to demonstrate, exercise, embrace those elements in the Word of God. And I want to illustrate three pre-important points in this lesson. I want to create a contrast between a cold, wax-cold heart and a compassionate heart. Second, I want to examine the devices that our adversary... You know, we need to study our adversary. I'm thankful for uh, Brother uh, uh, Spurgeon's lesson. We need to study our adversary. Satan is the God of this world. He's a stronger adversary than any one of us and us collectively. He desires to sift us and devour us. He has lost the battle. Period. And he wants to assault our hearts. He wants to remove our compassion. He wants to make us ineffective and He wants to destroy us. And third, we want to examine biblical teaching of Jesus' examples regarding compassion. We are called to be heavenly representatives as was talked about earlier. And so when we think about what we are as heavenly representatives, we need to demonstrate the fact that we are like Christ. And Christ was compassionate. We think of the passage where He talks about, you know, don't just turn the other cheek, turn it 99 times. How hard is that? what He called us to do. Now, there's other attributes and you've got to weigh it with the don't cast your pearls before the swine. There's other attributes. You've got to, you've got to weigh all this stuff out. 
But you can't ignore one being compassionate. So wax cold ministry, what is that? It's, it's a ministry without the love of Christ in it. We think about what uh, wax cold ministry looks like. I'm going to give you some definitions of what a wax cold ministry. And I think you'll find some relationships to this and sometimes your life and sometimes our churches sometimes. We demonstrate these kind of capacities sometimes. It's, it's unfortunate. We, we're just... Churches are spiritual rehab centers. Amen. I, I, I was visiting with a, a sister here at Old Union. She was down at the rehab center getting her knee worked on. And as I walked in there, the Lord just, Spirit of the Lord just came on me when I walked in, that, walked in that facility and thought about what they were doing to care for her physical body. That's really what all a church is, is we're just a bunch of sinners saved by God's grace. Called forth from darkness into life. But we still have that outward nature. And we need rehabilitation. And that's what a church house is. is spiritual rehabilitation. We think about what a cold, uh, wax cold uh, uh, ministry is like or what a church, wax cold church would be like. It would be apathy. Unconcern. Indifference. Detachment, disdainment, cold-heartedness, hard-heartedness. These are traits that should never be associated with the Lord's church. These are traits that should never be associated with your ministry. Who in their right mind would want to be a part of any relationship, family, marriage, pastor, or church that could be defined in these terms? I ask you the question. Tough tough question, I know. We struggle with these issues. I'm afraid, you know, in close, inspection, uh, close inspection on my life, close inspection on my life, much too often I can be described in these terms. These don't come from the Father of lights. This is not a trait of God. Doesn't, uh, it's not from the Spirit of God. It's not from His Holy Spirit. It's not from good. It's not from, uh, it comes from the good of God. It certainly comes from Satan. And these are characteristics that we should avoid. And if left unchecked in our lives, can devour our families, can devour our spiritual life, can devour our churches. We can be left a shell if we're not careful, if we focus our lives so much on these wax-cold traits of uncompassionate attitudes. Now when we think about what passion is, because I want to go to the positive of this. Passion Passion's translated one time in the Scriptures as Acts 1 and 2. And Mel Gibson, I had to actually look it up when Mel Gibson came out with his movie. It's like, is Passion in the Bible? You know, so I ran and looked it up real quick. Passion of the Christ is Passion's listed one time in the Scriptures. It's Acts 1 and 3. To whom also He showed Himself alive by passion of many infallible proofs. This is a singular word used. It's, it's a noun. 
Uh, used, they use the verb, but this is the one place that they, it's actually used in a noun, noun because it's referred to as His passion. His passion. Means to suffer. And you know, I love it because it's the only time it's, trans, or the only time it's in that way, that way in the Greek. It's powerful. It's mighty. It is His passion. It is His suffering upon the cross. It should be elevated. It elevated uh, us from our sins and our iniquities. It, it healed us from our transgressions, our, 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 our sinful nature. And so it should be. We think about what it means. It it's, it's means His suffering. Now, Brother Miller, um, look at 2 Corinthians 1.6, tying it back into your message uh, Yesterday, in regard to our suffering through the cross, same, same, same language in there that we're supposed to carry our cross. We're supposed to suffer with Christ, different than His suffering, but we're supposed to 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 suffer with Christ. And so, look at that. It's very beautiful when you get to looking at and some of the language in there. And compassion is a, is a dual word. So, a calm, the calm part of compassion means with, together, unity. Compassion means we're to suffer with. I think of a union, it's marriage. I think of, of, of how we join ourselves into the Lord's church. That's, that's a, a union where we unite ourselves as, as brothers and sisters in Christ. If we live the, the fullest of doubt, that and to the extent of that, how wonderful it is when we unify ourselves with, 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 in unity. And what compassion means is that we suffer together. It's a compound word. Suffering with another. Painful sympathy. sympathy, Sensation of sorrow. Excited by distress. Misfortunes of another. Pity. Consummation. I'm going to have time trouble to myself here. Compassion is a mixed passion. Compounded of two things. Love. What brother Curtis is going to speak about? Sorrow. The king spoke about. It's a mixed passion of love and sorrow. And when we think about what compassion means, in other words, compassion is used as a word to express mixed emotions of both love and sorrow that result in someone taking actions in an attempt to assist or relieve the suffering of another. True compassion's more than just words. Involves action. For true compassion to exist, there must be an intensive force or action taken to help assist the other individual. When we uh, express true compassion, we're taking action, whether it be by prayer, by, by, by whatever it means it might be. We're taking action on, on, on ourselves to suffer with another together. Now, our society, real quick... Compassion's not empathy. 
Empathy is a new word created in 1908 to better describe an experimental psychology as in-feeling. Okay? Empathy and compassion are gradually sort of merging as words to describe each other, and really they're just totally different things. Our society increasingly avoids true compassion, and we expect that those words will probably be used interchangeably over time. But there's a distinct difference important to you, the believer. God expects our Christian walk to be more than mere participation in the feelings of another. It's more than just participation in someone's feelings. That's not compassion. We become more than just a hearer, but a doer. And that's so important for us when we think about our ministries and our walks uh, in in respective opportunities that we have. Empathy is the first step in reaching someone. I have no doubt that's we just don't need to stop there. We need to keep going. Christ calls us to keep going. We need to actively show the deepness and richness of the love of Christ towards others. That when we think about what we can do is prayer and caring for the sick, comforting the downtrodden, supporting others in their Christian walk is all part of our responsibilities. God's not excluded us from doing these things. God's actually encouraged us. Jesus Christ wants us to do these kind of things. Why? It demonstrates that we walk with Christ. When we think about what it meant in the old time, uh, old days when uh, the apostles, uh, I, I believe God could heal and he could heal use one of us to heal down. I don't think he does that. As demonstrated by, you know, just don't don't believe that's what's that's for the apostles. It was a demonstration of the fact that Jesus Christ was with the apostles and was with them. But you know we need to in our lives demonstrate the fact that we've been with Christ. We do. And there's evidences that we can show and demonstrate the fact that Christ is with us. And one of those mechanisms is compassion. Because we live in such a hardened, hard-hearted world that when you're compassionate, people are going to see the difference. When a church of the living God is compassionate, the world is going to see the difference in that church. We love Christ because He first loved us and we're to comfort the downtrodden. We're supposed to bear one another's burdens. Support one another. That's why, how we fulfill the law of Christ. Um, I need to get into Satan. The devices of our adversary uses to create wax-cold ministries. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 2.11, Lest Satan should get advantage of us, for we are not ignoring his, ignorant of his devices. I'll get out in a minute. Job observed, uh, Job observed that man is a few days and full of trouble. James, the half-brother of Jesus, recognized the fact and encouraged us to consider life and not worry about life. It's a bud of April. It'll soon pass away. Life's brief. It's troublesome. Solomon prayed for understanding that he might judge uh, his people, the the people that the Lord had given him over, and and that he might be able to discern both good and bad. And at the end of the day in his prayer, he wanted a a wise and discerning heart. It's so important for us to consider those things when we think about how we address Satan. That uh, that God wants us to... uh, um, the end duty of man is to fear God, keep His commandments. That's the whole duty of man. That's what Solomon summarized everything as. 
And so it's important for us to study our adversary. I'll ask you to turn to the first, uh, first gospel. Refer back to, this will test you to see if y'all were listening this morning. Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. The Bible helps us to understand there are unseen forces at play in our lives. They're wanting to destroy us. Satan's a fallen angel. He's been cast from heaven. He's seeking whom he may devour. And without God's loving hand, His mercy, His gra- God's grace in our lives, our adversary is more powerful than us and can destroy us. And he has nothing to lose. Think about that for a minute. He got nothing to lose. He's lost. He's gone. It's said and done. He was defeated at the almighty trifecta when Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection occurred. He's done with. What's he going to do? Twiddle his thumbs or is he going to fight against you? He's already lost. What do you think? He wants to destroy you. He wants to harden your heart. He wants to just absolutely obliterate you. Destroy you. He didn't take... when He, went to, uh, he apparently had access at the time to, 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 to God and heaven at the time. I don't think he has that same access today, by the way. But, you know, he accused Job... Hast thou considered my servant Job? He accused Job. He accuses the brethren. The almighty accuser. Or the not almighty. Far from it. Bigger than us though. He is the accuser. He didn't go to God to fight against Job because he loved Job. His purpose is to destroy. And when we think about what, when we think about the things that happen in our lives, God tests us because He loves us so to build our faith. Satan tempts us with an intent to destroy us. I think He was so angry. I'm going I'm to step out a little bit and I hope, uh, step out just a moment. I think he was so looking for a way to destroy Jesus. He worked in the hearts of the high priest and the Roman government and Judas. So looking for a way to destroy Jesus Christ. And that was the very thing that destroyed Satan. I'll just leave that thought with you. Dig on that a little bit. God will test you to build his, your faith in Him. Satan will tempt you, desiring to tear you down. Our adversary, the red dragon, is, has attempted a coup against God in heaven and was thrown out with the third of the angels. And his forces are now cast down from heaven and are in spiritual warfare against you and against His church, against Jesus Christ, anything that would glorify God. And He's after your heart. He wants a hard heart. He wants you to not have compassion. He wants you to not demonstrate the compassion that Jesus Christ has given us. 
Satan's primary objective, he's the God of this world. He's fighting against anything that would give glory and honor to God, the true and living God. He has nothing to lose. He's going to fight with all his might. And so what do we have to do? He's the accuser of the brethren. He works against the convicting power of God's Holy Spirit. You know, Satan was on me to try and persuade me not to trust Christ up to the point that I got saved. You know? That's how much he's against us. Praise be to God, his mercy and God's grace. How powerful God is when we think about what God has done for us in our own salvation. He, he doesn't want uh, people to be saved. When they get saved, He does everything He can to disturb us, deter us, discourage us, to tempt us, to lure us away from God. He has many intellectual, emotional devices in an attempt to steal our influence, science, politics, government, money, power, religion. He uses all those levers, all those devices in humanity. And hard-heartedless, He uses in us if we're not careful. The one thing we've got to do, and I thought about this a week ago, it really blessed my heart. I was listening to Brother Aaron preach. And, you know, the nation of Israel uh, were to take their sword that they were fought with, is to beat that sword into a plowshare. But you know, if we're not careful, as ministers of the gospel, we'll take the sword of the Spirit and we'll beat it into a plowshare. What Satan wants to do in our lives. Unrepentant sin is a cancer that will cause our hearts to be hardened and unpliable by the Spirit of God. And God wants us to live, talking about some of the cures, God wants us to live a penitent life. Charles Spurgeon in a sermon, and I don't agree with all that he's written, you have to be careful, young ministers, on what you read. Understand, dig, dig, dig through it by the Spirit of God. Hardness of heart is a great grievous evil. It exists not only outside the world, but in many who frequent the courts of the Lord's house. Beneath the robes of religion, many carry a heart of stone. It's more than possible to come to a baptism or sacred supper, to come constantly to the hearing of the Word, even as matter of form, to attend private religious duties, and yet still not have an unrenewed heart, A heart within no spiritual life palpitates and no spiritual feeling exists. Nothing can come good out of a stony heart. It's as a barren rock. To be unfeeling is to be unfruitful. Prayer without desire. Praise without emotion. Preaching without earnestness. What are all these? Like the images... Marble images of life, they're cold and dead. God wants us to... Uh, Timothy describes this, and I'm going to pick, pick this up. 2 Timothy 3, 1-7 through 7, it says, And you know, in last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedience to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural effects, and truth breakers, false accusers, incontinence, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, hardy, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but dying the power thereof from such turn away. 
For these are the sorts that creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led with diverse lusts, ever, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's the society that we live in today. Paul encouraged Timothy by these words to say, continue in those things which thou have learned and have been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Brothers in faith, I, brothers in faith, I urge you not to be discouraged but to be encouraged. This plan that God has set in place is playing out. And He wants to use His churches to redeem this world. And we should be encouraged. I'm going to read this, Brother King. You're going to... I wrote this. We live in a complex world where families struggle with family issues, financial stress, sexual abuse, death of loved ones, alcohol use, abuse, drug addiction, children born out of the confines of marriage, broken homes. All these problems lead to a host of other problems that result in the grieving and hardening of our hearts. That is the reality that we live in. God delivered Lot talked about Lot this morning. God delivered Lot. But he and his family was vexed with filthy conversation of the wicked. And unlawful deeds that vexed and tormented, excuse me, uh, uh, tormented his righteous soul. In other, other words, he left Sodom with a wax-cold heart. Our solution? Spirit-filled churches. Jesus Christ, we think about what the parable He told. He left the ninety and nine and went to find the one that was outrun. Far from the fold. We need to do everything we can to reclaim everything we can for the name and honor of Jesus Christ our Savior. Maybe the most wicked sinner out there. God wants to reclaim them. You may have a, a church member that's, that's in all kinds of trouble, all kinds of mess. God wants to redeem and reclaim them. Amen. By the Holy Spirit and patience and long-suffering and prayer and diligence. All these things that, that, that uh, we need to, to, to plow into our churches. Attitudes that we need to plow into our churches so that we might have uh, compassionate hearts. We need to rescue those that are out there. You know, the Corinthian church is fascinating to me. You know, first they ignored the problem. What do we do today? We ignore the problems. Taught us to be truth. We ignore our problems. We got a lot of problems out there. We just ignore them. It's better to just ignore them. When are we going to say enough is enough? And start really taking spiritually guided actions to start to really reclaim what we know we can do through Jesus Christ. It doesn't do us any good. That's not compassion to ignore. I'm thankful. I have a brother in Christ I love very, very dearly. He came to me many years ago. He said, Brad, I've got aught with you. And he went out and just laid it right out on I love, I, I love that brother. He loved me enough he went to come talk to me. It's a dear brother to this day. 
Nothing I wouldn't do to help him, to assist him. I'd, I'd do as much as I could to walk through fire for that man. He was right and I knew I was wrong. I needed that correction. We need to correct one another lovingly. In a way that we can reach them. Compassion is not, is addressing sin. It's not avoiding. But you know, the second thing the Corinthian church did was, you know, they cast the man out. Paul's, Paul's getting on to the other side. You went too far. Be careful. You got too hard-hearted nature about this man and he might fall into uh, and be lost for good. We're trying to reclaim this man. Bring him back in. Forgive him. Compassion is providing the opportunity for reconciliation upon proper forgiveness. It's important for us to do those things. Compassion is an opportunity for us to show others that the love of Christ. Compassion involves truth, true motives. I think of Job. I, I, I'm not sure I would want Job's friends around me. They showed a lot of empathy. We talked about what empathy is. A good, good definition of empathy is Job's friends. We can demonstrate empathy. Sometimes we shall fall short of the compassion that we need to demonstrate. And it's a great example of, of empathy and no real true compassion, I think. It's obvious his friends cared for him. I mean, they, they hung around with him in his misery for days. I mean, you know, that's a sign that they loved him. But it's so important that we provide spiritual guidance in our direction and our help to others. And too often, the guidance they provided are pretty much through and through about all of it. It's unspiritual advice and quite frankly was at times a hindrance to Job and his suffering. God doesn't call us to empathy and He wants us to be compassionate believers. He wants us to help others. Our response to Jesus' compassionate example, uh, Ezekiel eleven nineteen says, And I will give them one heart. We've talked about this this week. I will put a new spirit within you and will take out that stony heart of their flesh and will give them a heart of flesh. We need to, to, to feel, compassionately feel and care for others. Our, our response is that uh, we think about Paul. We talked about Paul today. He, he described himself, oh, what wretched man that he was. You know, Paul went and did and did and did. And then the nature inside of him fought against the very thing he was trying to do. And he was in anguish about it. Here I am doing all this stuff. And then I got this nature inside of me that fights against the thing that I'm trying to accomplish and do. Oh, wretched man that I am. And these are the kinds of struggles that we have as ministers of the gospel because we are cut of the same cloth. We're, we're Adam, but our exterior's not yet been saved, not yet been redeemed, not yet been changed. And so that inward part of us wants to do right and do good and then our outward side, outward side is, is in sin and we need to live lives as such that we understand what this world's going through. We've experienced all kinds of sorrow and pain, suffering. They, they, the world looks at us and they think that we're immune to it. I think very, 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 very good point made today. 
And we're not immune to it. And once they see that we're not immune to that, that would be an opportunity or a door that we can be a witness for them. Our response is to compassionately fight. God didn't heal us from our sins to not fight. He called us to fight the good fight of faith. He called you into the ministry to fight the good fight of faith. And that's in all aspects. The worst thing we can do uh, is not fight that good fight of faith. Lay hold of that. uh, That that profession that we have might be witnessed by many. Joshua said unto them, Fear fear not, be, be not dismayed. Be strong and of good courage, for the Lord shall do to all your enemies against whom you fight. We're, we're, we're to be fighters for the gospel. Ephesus is a great example. I think about them. Their accusation, they, they, uh, they did a lot of good things. You know, you look at Revelations, they did a lot of the works, their labor, the patient, rejection of evil, rejection of false teachers. They were applauded for laboring and not fading. However, and I, I don't, Brother Don may pick this up tomorrow, the problem? Left the first love. They were doing the right things. Their heart was not right. And I think what compassion is part of that that plays a role in that. That when Paul d- describes and, and talks with the Ephesian church in the Ephesian letter, that the traits of the Spirit, they were being uh, desirous of self-glory provoking and envy. Those are things that Paul was warning them against. And not to give place to the devil. And that, that they should be pure and, and let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away with all malice. That's how he was describing in, in the Ephesian letter to the Ephesian church. And you've got to wonder where their hearts were at. You've got to wonder what their condition of their hearts were. They had left their first love. They were doing the right things from an outward standpoint. But you've got to wonder what down deep underneath the surface there were problems there even in Paul's writing. We need to be compassionate uh, Christian counselors. Let me give you a few. Our response is to be compassionately work with the downtrodden. The Good Samaritan versus the Pharisee. The two Jewish religious of the day who showed compassion. The half-Jew. The half-Jew. Probably to another Jew. That's compassion. Jesus used that as an example. Our response is to compassionately work with the prodigals. You think about the prodigal son and how compassionate his father was. If I can just go back to it. And, and we found the prodigal son. He's sitting there eating husks with the pigs. The clean, unclean, the swine. The Jewish of the day. And Jesus described uh, in this parable how his father uh, had compassion, ran on his neck, kissed him. It's the son that was lost. We need to rejoice when we reclaim someone for the Lord. It should be rejoiced. We should celebrate. 
And when we think about Christian counseling is that, that this world needs to be saved and spiritually connected to Christian advisors, ministers. We find it difficult oftentimes uh, to find, understand the inward challenges of depression, anxiety, psychological disorders, post-traumatic stress, uh, drugs, substance abuse, generational differences. These are the struggles that we live in and, and we don't necessarily know someone else's pain. But it's important for us by the Spirit of God, to help counsel them. Brother Garner, perfect example of the work that he's doing. Making a difference in some of these areas. Listen generously. Allow for sufficient time to counsel with others. Find an appropriate time and place for you so that you don't put your ministry in question when you counsel with others. Practice presence. Be there with individuals. Try not to relax. Try to relax your judgments a little bit. God's already convicting them if they're talking to you. And you can really provide some counsel and guidance in some key moments. Doesn't mean you're not supposed to counsel and guide and direct properly. But God, God wants you to, to, uh, to uh, uh, wants you to relax. Uh, Relax your judgment sometimes. He gave, uh, Jesus gave the apostles power to, to cast out and cure illness. He'll give you the power. He may not give you that power because I don't think that exists today. But He will give you the spiritual power to counsel others in the right way that they need to go and do it in a compassionate way. I'm going to re- finish with uh, one verse of Scripture. I appreciate y'all's time today. I didn't get near where I needed to get through. Jesus in his ministry. He came to Nazareth, the fourth chapter of Luke. It's where he'd been brought up, it's where his custom was. He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And there was a book delivered unto him, the book of prophet Isaiah. And when he opened the book, that means he scrolled it out. He found on the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to deliver, to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and the recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of our Lord. We think about what compassion means. Jesus, the Almighty Christ, was compassionate towards us. Let us lift up our hearts. Let us lift up our lives. Let us lift up our families. Let us lift up our churches and raise in a very hard-hearted world, raise up as compassionate leaders representing Jesus Christ in this day, age, and time that we live. May God bless each and every one of you as my prayer.